Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy it. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be discussing The Social Dilemma, a Netflix original documentary. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, what social media platform are you most addicted to? I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in Chicago, and my most used app <laughs> um, is YouTube. And I watched six hours of YouTube last week. Oh, yeah, that's double what I did that's... on YouTube. <laughs> so that's definitely my number one um, social media. I that's I guess that's – did you just say social media? Yeah. It definitely. says social media. Does that count as social media? I think it does. Oh, 100%. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, well, my name is Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville. And, you know, before I pulled up my screen time, I was going to say Twitter was my, you know, um, mm -hmm. the thing I'm the most addicted to. Um, and I think psychologically, I still am the most addicted to Twitter. Um, it's, it's the thing I go to when I need the news on anything. And mm -hmm. it's the thing that I kind of... Um, I find myself reverting to when I'm stressed is, is going back to Twitter. Um, my Twitter screen time was kind of low, lower than I thought last week. It was three hours and 45 minutes. Um, but I'm wondering if that was just because it was a particularly hard week last week <laughs> and yes. I kind of needed a break. <laughs> um, we had, I had a rough weekend with, the news last weekend, which was, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and it was very emotional. So, um, that, that might be lower than normal. What, what is saying my most used app, um, was last week was TikTok at five hours. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Which that sounds about right. That sounds <laughs> about right. Now, I think with both of our number one apps, we're not posting anything. I'm not posting anything right. on YouTube. You're not posting anything on TikTok. It's all consuming. True. Exactly. True. Um, which I will say, you you said whoa as if my, my, my TikTok number is lower than your YouTube number, Lucas. It is. But YouTube, I always, like, YouTube has long videos. And so I feel like you feel like you're spending less time on YouTube because you're watching longer things. Where sure. TikTok, all the videos are super short. So you're just watching a lot more yeah. uh, different content than I am. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to, we can talk more about this when we get into the social dilemma. But I'm fascinated to hear more about your social media diet and, and mine as well. Yeah. Um, but so let's hold that off until we we talk about that film. First, I want to hear Lucas. What are you feeling this week? Um, this week, I'm feeling a book by David Mitchell um, called Utopia Avenue. This is the story of um, a group of musicians who get together and form a band in the '60s, um, and it's just kind of their 
run as musicians and what that looks like for them. And it follows a lot of, I think, the similar tropes of a lot of stories of bands where, you know, them forming, them getting more popular, them releasing records, kind of the um, the trials of being more famous. This band never becomes... Um, you know anything crazy popular um it's it's all kind of within the the world of the actual 60s so they do meet a lot of you know famous musicians in the 60s and stuff like that but really the core of the story is just what is it like to be creative and um be around creative people and what is the environment that you that you are creating things in and so it i think it's a really interesting story david mitchell is an inter- interesting writer um he wrote um the bone clocks and um cloud atlas um and so he he writes these like very kind of trippy a little bit sci-fi books and this is i think one of his most grounded ones um there there do get some weird weird elements in it that i don't necessarily love for this being a pretty grounded movie but i do really really love um kind of the story that he's telling here so um if you lived through the 60s and loved music or are interested in the 60s and kind of that music create big music creation period um or if you didn't and you're not interested in any of that but you do love music stories, I think this is an absolutely great book. It's very long, but it's um, it's a great awesome. read. Awesome. I forget, speaking of social media earlier, I, re- I think I've asked you this before, but are, do you use Goodreads to track your reading? I do. I, I love Goodreads because I like to go back. At the end of the year, people always ask, like, what's the best book you read this year? I'm like, I don't know. Totally. I don't remember. Yeah. So, yeah, be, I love being able to track it. Um on uh, platforms like Letterboxd, I do like to, like, rate and see which ones I liked and stuff like this. And right. on Goodreads, I'm just logging what I read and when I read it, and that's it. Um, it's not really a – I'm not doing any, like, critical thinking there. It's all just sure. <laughs> just putting it down. So, sure. um, Well, awesome. I always love hearing your book recommendations. I It, it always makes me feel just a, a appropriate amount of guilt for not <laughs> reading as much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 doing my best here. I don't yeah. I like I'm not going to hit my goal I don't think for this year, but um What is your goal? I'm, my goal is 60 books. Yeah. Um and it's at the, at the beginning of the year I was really on track. I was like three or four books ahead of schedule and then um at, during at the very beginning of the pandemic everything slowed down. And yeah. so I did not <laughs> I don't right. think I read for like a month and a half. Right. Um so yeah, we'll we'll see how many I get in. I feel like I've asked you this before as well, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but do you typically read hard copy books or are you an ebook person or is that a healthy blend? What are you doing? So I'm mostly audiobooks. Oh, that's um, right. Because I can do so many other things while I'm reading. Um, we have been doing just a ton of house projects. Um, and so I can, you know, cut wood or put together cabinets while I'm listening to books. And so that's what I prefer. Sure. I do really enjoy reading like a, a physical book. Um, yeah. I'm really not good at ebooks at all. So for me, it's all, it's just physical or um or audiobooks. And yeah. it's for me, it's just easier to get my hands on the audiobook version of things as opposed to going to the library and picking up (laughs) the physical copies. Man, I really wish I liked audiobooks because I would get so many read because I listen to podcasts constantly. Yeah. And if that time could be used towards audiobooks, it'd be so helpful. But I never have been able to get into them. There's such a disconnect for me. Um, But I I, I feel I'm grateful for those people that do have have them in their lives because... I, yeah, you get so much. You get you plow through them so quickly. It's true. Yeah. Yep. Um. Well, thank you for that, Lucas. This week, 
I am feeling something pretty new for myself. Uh, throughout this, like, pandemic, there's been a lot, like, a, a new spring of, like, the live stream show, right? Because, you know, live shows and cl- comedy clubs and um, event spaces are no longer happening. A lot of people are doing live stream shows now. And I am someone who has never really enjoyed the format of a live stream. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it doesn't, it rarely works well because there's technical difficulties and people don't know how to fill time and um, people don't, people don't know, really know how to maintain that, that space smoothly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I pretty much avoid them. There's a live stream show that is happening that's happening weekly that I've been aware of, and it's called the George Lucas Talk Show. Now, have you heard of this show before, Lucas? I haven't. No. Um. So the George Lucas Talk Show used to be a real life event. I don't know how frequently it happened, but um, in the pandemic age, it's happening weekly. Um, hosted by Connor Ratliff, who is a comedian that I like, and he. Um, hosts the show in character as George Lucas. He does a very funny impression. So um, when you wrote this down, I assumed this was actually a George Lucas talk show. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, Lucas, you don't even know what you're in for yet. So <laughs> he does, he does, he hosts the show in character as George Lucas. Um, it's, it really makes me laugh how he's nailed down the character of George Lucas as someone who, like, when I mean people talk about the prequels, he firmly stands behind them. He like he's always bringing up like the way you can bring digital effects into new projects. It's it's all very funny. Um, one of his co-hosts on the show is um, Griffin Newman, um, a comedian and film critic I really love. He is a host of the Blank Check podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Um, and Griffin Newman is on this show in character. As Watto, the alien from the Star Wars prequels. Um, and he's like a blue alien with kind of like an elephant nose and sort of a um, like a thick accent. And it, it, they make for like an odd bunch. And it's very wacky and funny and, and charming. And I think normally as a comedy show... Um, they have, you know, guests come on. And, I, and I've never really tuned in before. Although I've heard... Um, I've seen clips on social media. Um, and I know, like I said, I've never been interested in really tuning in to this live event, even though I, I like both of these people and I find their shtick funny. Um, however, this weekend I tuned in for the first time because instead of their normal Sunday evening talk show format, they decided to do a um, day-long marathon for... Um, raising money for charity for Broadway Cares, a really great organization that's helping out-of-work actors and and people who work on Broadway during this time. Um, And it was a marathon of my beloved canceled one-season show, Studio 60 on the Sunset. (laughs) They decided to marathon the entire 22-episode season of Studio 60 in one day and live stream the whole thing. Um... And have guests on throughout the day that were involved in the making of Studio 60. And I thought, okay, 
I wow. have an, a strange obsession with this show. I'm uh, Studio 60, I mean. <laughs> I'm going to tune into this. Like, yeah. I, how could I not? It started at 8 a.m. in my time, and I knew it was supposed to last about 17 hours because they were covering the entire season. And I thought, I'll pop in and out throughout the day, you know, see how they're doing. Um, I woke up at 8 a.m., I tuned in, and I watched the entire 18 hour and 40 minutes. Oh my gosh, Sandra. I don't think you've ever been committed to anything like this. (laughs) No. And I want to stress that I would never commit myself to something like that for any other type of TV show. Like if, if they were doing a marathon of anything, I don't think there's a single show that they could, that someone could do a live stream marathon of that I would tune in for, except for studio 60. Um, my obsession, 18 hours. Yeah. 18 hours. That's longer than the show itself. No. Well, yes, it was. Um, they were running (laughs) a little late and then also it, it kind of started to drag on after they had finished watching all the episodes. And at that point I was like, man, I want to go to bed, but I've stuck it out for this long. I want (laughs) to see the whole thing. You know what I mean? It feels, if you've watched the entire thing all day, you don't want to like bow out in the last and you don't know when it's going to end kind of thing so it was it got really loopy there towards the end very very loopy um but i had such a fun time i think that one thing that made it successful is that these the having comedians host a live stream um they have like a good sense of picking up the pace and stopping people who are like um talking too much you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that 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 can get really frustrating um the jokes kept up like the mood they um like i said they were raising money for charity so they had stretch goals every time a certain dollar amount would hit they would do something wacky for the audience you know um yeah and 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 that kept things pretty lively you know um it culminated in the final stretch goal that was performed was um connor ratliff who plays george lucas did the jackal um from the west wing it was <laughs> it was fantastic um and it was really fun for this show that i'm so dedicated to that is such an odd piece of television history to have all these actors and writers and directors and producers and casting directors come on and talk about their experience um and I learned so many cool behind the scenes like p- tidbits that I never would have unless I participated, and um, it was really just like a fever dream that I I fully enjoyed. So um, I don't know, I don't think I'll be tuning in to another seventeen hour marathon of anything, <laughs> but. I did really appreciate um, their, like, live stream hosting capabilities, and I will probably tune into the George Lucas talk show in the future. So if if you're a fellow Studio 60 obsessive like I am, um, feel free to reach out, and I can share some of the fun tidbits I learned. But otherwise, um, yeah, it was, it was just kind of a, a wild thing I got to participate in. That is impressive. Um, well done. I'm trying to remember. Did you wa- did you watch Studio 60? No, that was one of the shows that I was like going to watch at the beginning of the pandemic because it was oh, one that yeah. I missed, yeah. and then I just didn't. So, 
I let me tell you, if you ever want to do a Studio sixty episode of of feeling it, yeah, I would. It would bring me so much joy. I never get tired. You probably of should. It. We probably should. Okay, let's let's get it on the books. Okay. Um, I, I'm not going to let this slip away. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, speaking of Aaron Sorkin, let's talk about some trailers that just came out. What's it gonna be? Consider carefully. Are you in? This is the section part of our episode where we talk about movie trailers and we talk about whether we're in or out on them. So like I said, The Trial of Chicago 7. Trailer just recently came out. Lucas, I already know we are both heavily anticipating this movie. Um, Yes. But I want to know what you thought of this trailer and how that made you feel about the film and your anticipation levels. I love every Aaron Sorkin trailer. I think... Obviously, he has a he has a great way with words, and they are able to package those in really great ways with really great music <laughs> um, that really make a trailer come together. Um, I'm iffy on how this will work. I didn't love Molly's game, um, mm. and I I just felt like it takes a director to really rein him in. Yeah. Um, he's directing this one again, so we'll we'll see how it goes. But it's definitely something I'm very excited about. Um, it looks absolutely awesome yeah. and timely. Um. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't wait for this film. It's coming out pretty soon, so that's really exciting. I think it was really cool. One, it's inter- It's going to be fun to see Aaron Sorkin direct a period piece, you know? Um, instead of, I feel like, e- even though sometimes his stories are not, like, in the exact modern day, he d- he has done, like, you know, Moneyball and The Social Network and Molly's Game. Those have all taken place, you know. Yeah. You know. Not in the current day, but several, several years, several years, several years, right. the same as a full on, was it the 70s or the 60s that this movie is set in? The, the 60s. 60s. A full on period piece where like costumes are incredibly different and, and it's a completely different political climate. And um, so I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see this cast. I think that's another thing from listening to this studio 60 marathon and all these actors talk about, I do think this, the sense you get from every single actor that came onto that show was that like, it is truly an honor and a dream to perform Aaron Sorkin's writing. Um, and I think that's a, a pretty universal feeling amongst a lot of actors. And so it's really exciting to see what a new batch of performers looks like doing Aaron Sorkin material. Um, I'm excited to see Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jeremy Strong, who just won an Emmy last night. Yep. Exciting. He's, Jeremy Strong is one of my new, like, we'll watch him in anything, like, <laughs> love him kind of actors. And, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is someone who I have, like, a, a fondness for, hasn't been in anything for quite a while. And so I'm excited yeah. to see him back on the screen. Um, yeah, I was I loved this trailer, but I it it kind of kept my expectations exactly where they were. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um so. another highly anticipated movie and trailer that came out recently was the trailer for Dune. Yes. Um, I'm surprised we haven't talked yes, about this yet. <laughs> I know. It's been a while. We we've we've been, we haven't done the podcast in a few weeks. Um, That's true. So Dune is the newest film from Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve? Did I say that right? I always, I always question myself. Pretty good. Thank you. Um, and the funniest thing about this trailer is that I, it had like, 
this was the kind of trailer where people were on the edge of their seats waiting for the trailer to come out. Like, I feel like right. the buzz on Twitter was like, the trailer's supposed to come out two hours ago. Where is it? Like, we're all freaking out. Um, and then before they released the trailer on Twitter, they had a live stream event of all the actors talking about their experience making Dune, which I happened to watch some of as I was waiting for the trailer to come out. Did you watch any of that? I did not, no. Um, what I will say is that hearing the actors talk, hearing the actors and Denis talk about their experience making Dune and why they think Dune is a special story actually got me way more hyped for the movie than the trailer even did. <laughs> um, they, the, the respect that this story seems to, like, that people seem to hold for this story um, really impressed me. I'm, I've never read Dune. I kind of, I know about it generally, but um, that buildup is what is getting me excited for this film. Um, but the trailer is fantastic. What did you, in my opinion, what did you think of the trailer? The trailer's great. It is beautiful. Um, I mean, all of his movies, um, kind of have this, this perfect visual quality to them where, where it just looks beautiful and like looks perfectly staged and shot and everything. Um, he hasn't made a movie since uh, Blade Runner 2049. And that actually wasn't that long yeah. ago. I don't know why I'm saying it like it's been forever since he made a movie. Um, but I think he um, – I think there's a lot of excitement around this. I think I think what he did with Blade Runner 2049, which did not make a ton of money, um, no. but took this very popular story in a new direction – I think people are excited about that for Dune. Um, not that there's anything wrong with the Dune story. I don't love the book itself, but I think just, um, I mean, it's an, it's a book from the seventies, maybe eighties, maybe. Um, but I mean, there's just things about it that, that, that could be cooler with some of the things that I'm sure he's doing. Like some of his casting choices are really interesting. Some of, um, the, the, the way he's kind of integrating, uh, class into, into this story, I think are going to be really interesting. Um, and everybody in it is amazing. Like all of the actors are, are absolutely great and look great in this setting also. So, um, you've got beardless Jason Momoa, you've got bearded Oscar Isaacs, um, big fan of all those choices. So I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited for this movie. Emmy award winning Zendaya, who also won an Emmy last night. Um, and of course, Timothy Chalamet, who, I mean, Timothy Chalamet has a face that's just like meant to be stared at. It's it's so elegant <laughs> and and this trailer I think really makes use of that. Like it knows what they know they know who they hired and they're like they're yeah. they're filming for it. Um in that kind of lead up to the trailer that live stream event that I watched, um Denis was saying about how when he was I think he was saying how when he was making Blade Runner, he's having to, like, honor, like, R- Ridley Scott and what he did with the original Blade Runner and, like, uphold yeah. that legacy and that um, storyline. Mm-hmm. And he says, when I'm making Dune, I have to honor my 14-year-old self's, like, obsession with this story and, like, what this story meant to me as a teenager. Um and that I thought was really compelling, and I can't. I, it's exciting to see someone who I think takes such care with whatever project he's making, um, whether it's something like he's known before or not. But to see 
something that he has such an attachment to is going to be really exciting to see what he does with this film. Um, seeing this trailer made me really want to go and rewatch Arrival. Like, I yeah. need to do it pretty soon. Um, okay, the last trailer I want us to talk about is for the Marvel TV series that I think will be coming out on Disney Plus sometime soon. We don't know exactly when. But for WandaVision, this is a show that we've heard a lot about, but we haven't seen a lot. Um, and we just recently um, got a trailer for it. Lucas, what did you think of the WandaVision trailer? I thought it was great. I have no idea what this show's about um, <laughs> at all. Um, so I think it's more just visually getting to see um, Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen um, as their characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we know nothing about what that's actually going to look like in reality. Um, I, I'm... I'm not excited for this. Mm. I, I guess I have no anticipation for it. Um, but the trailer looks good to me. Um, I don't. I, I don't think it's something that I will watch unless everybody says it's amazing. Um, but I don't think the trailer changed any of my expectations around it. Mm. I'm pretty stoked for this. Um, one, I think. Let's set the marvel of it all aside, right? And this is just a trailer that has like a really cool vibe. You know, if someone just presented this trailer and it wasn't called WandaVision, but it had these actors with this aesthetic of this um, maybe TV land world that we, that keeps changing um, and it's kind of trippy and um, psychological. This is, sounds like a really great show for me. Um, yeah. It stars Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, Catherine Hahn looks amazing in this. Um, it's like, yeah, I, I, I'm watching that. I don't, I don't need anything else. Um, so just based on the trailer and the visuals and the concept alone, I'm excited. But then when we bring the Marvel aspect back into it, I think what really excites me about this um, is that this is a Marvel project that doesn't, on its face at least, seem to be about being a superhero at all. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem yeah. to be about saving lives, the end of the world, really superpowers. It doesn't even seem to be about. It seems to be more about like psychology and romance and um, um, grief, right? And I'm excited. Marvel had like you know snags such amazing talent, right? And they and I just feel like with every new project, they just get another little, a few pieces of amazing actors, like, in their family, in their threshold. Um, and that's fun because we like seeing good actors make these blockbuster movies that we like. But then that also means that these really talented actors are kind of held captive by this system and their, de and their contracts to this, these projects, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and sometimes prevents them from doing more interesting stuff. And... I'm excited to see these actors get to perform what I what seems to be very interesting material um, within that ecosystem, um, and I'm excited for Marvel to like stretch themselves beyond stories about superheroes saving the day. Um, I think that there's like a lot of other interesting stories that we can tell in this world, and I'm excited to see like the characters I already know and like tell those stories. So WandaVision gives me a lot of hope in the way that, you know, the rumored, um, not rumored, but like the planned um, 
what is it, Bucky and Falcon show that's supposed to be coming. Yeah. That I will watch because I find those actors charming, but, like, that isn't exciting to me, you know? Uh, It sounds like, oh, cool, like, handsome actors that I already know saving the day some more, you know? Like, it seems pretty standard. Um, This seems really interesting and innovative, so I'm excited for this. Yeah, Yeah. Um, good. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about um, the reason for the season, The Social Dilemma. Social Dilemma is a, technically it's listed as, I think, in the credits of Netflix original documentary. It is, it is appearing on Netflix, but I believe that it premiered at Sundance um, before, it, you know, it came here on this channel. So I, I, I don't know exactly whether it was bought at Sundance or um, if it was produced specifically for Netflix, um, mm-hmm. but it is a documentary about the... The hidden agenda of social media platforms and the dangers that they pose to our mental health and our democracy. Um, And I have a lot of complicated feelings about the documentary itself and the subject matter it's discussing. Um, before I delve into all of those, I want to know, Lucas, what did you think? I, I think we should talk a little bit just about what we thought about this film as a film um, and as a documentary. I agree. I think before we do that, we should have the disclaimer. You are a social media yes, manager. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a this is a world that you are very aware of. Definitely. Um, and, and understand. I'll definitely talk more oh. about that when we talk about... Uh, like yeah our personal relationships to the subject manager but yes i should be it should be stated i'm a social media manager i work in the world of social media as my full-time job and like you're a designer you are living in right you you know you don't you're not a designer for a social media platform (laughs) but you have worked in the tech space um yeah and so have a lot of our friends um so we are part of this ecosystem for sure um, so if we, if we separate that, just the movie as a whole, how does this work as a documentary, as a movie? I don't think it's great. This, th- this movie has, I think, two, uh, forms that it's following. It's following the typical, um, uh, headshot interviews, um, mixed with a narrative, um, feature that is kind of playing alongside a lot of the topics that they're talking mm-hmm. about. So not necessarily like a reenactment of the stuff that things are talking about, but a truly uh, narrative story that's playing out um, with actors, which I I don't mind the fact that those things can happen at once. I think in this movie, it feels a little manipulative and um, on the nose. I, I, I don't think the actual... <laughs> um, I don't think I think there are parts of it that what you're seeing enhance the the um, the story that's being told in um, the actual interviews, but I think other parts of it are really ramping up the tension and the in, the intensity um, and anxiety that you're feeling <laughs> while watching this um, in an unrealistic way. Yeah, it's hard because so much of it I found very compelling, um, and I think the best thing that this movie does is it starts the conversation and it makes you think about 
the way social media is used in our nation, world, and in our personal lives. Um, but as I was watching it, I felt like, oh, this doesn't even feel like a real documentary. You know what I mean? Like, this feels right. like it's obviously more polished and well done than like a student project. You know, clearly. But it feels like it's yeah. somewhere in between being a real documentary and like a student project. Like, it, there's... We know what real documentaries feel like by um, documentarians who take a lot of time and care into providing, like, a story and a context. And this feels rushed. It feels um, like it was thrown together very quickly. And um, that, I think, kind of sets you, sets a viewer, like, with a sense of unease as they're watching it. Like, can I even trust everything that's being said because this doesn't feel full. Um, like you mentioned, it has interviews um, and then it has kind of like this narrative aspect. The narrative aspect, I felt at, at moments I thought, wow, this is really working for me. Um, really? Moments. <laughs> okay. Um, the, I, I don't know, this, is, this isn't really a movie that we can, can be spoiled, do you think? Can we, do you feel like we're free to just kind of talk about everything that is said and done in the movie? I think so. I don't think anyone's like, going to not... be upset that we spoiled this, docu- this documentary. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll just say now, if you're interested <laughs> and you don't want to hear about the state of the tech industry. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, I guess, I guess the, truly, the, the narrative uh, bit of this right. film, there, I guess there could be spoilers. Yeah. There. So, we'll just say... Spoilers starting now. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No, crack and gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. So, the, the way that the narrative aspect of this film showed, um, where they, where they gave a, a human embodiment to the computer behind, the AI behind the social media, mm-hmm. played by Vincent Carthizer um, from Mad Men. Um, I, I thought that that was really well done. I think it was very inside out, right? It's showing a man behind a, you know, tech board controlling the social media platforms. I think to show the thought process, quote unquote, behind the AI that runs these social media platforms and give Mm -hmm. it a human voice, um, was like a really smart way to illustrate that for people, um. And so those scenes in particular work. And I also really like Vincent Carthizer. I think he's, like, really good at portraying that. So, like, <laughs> yeah. those scenes worked for me. All the other scenes of, like, the family being a family and, like, the teenagers being teenagers yeah. did not work. I thought that they were <laughs> lazily written, like, just very Saturday morning PSA type scenarios. There was no nuance to me in any of those no. those scenes. And it's like, if yeah, if you're wanting to show this to maybe, like, kids, fine. But for me as an adult, like, I need more than that quality than that. Um, if you're going to, if you're going to implement, like, a narrative structure, yeah. right? It, it simplified things. And in a, in a, when we're talking about a concept that is very much not simple, it's a very complex thing that this this documentary is trying to tackle and those sequences 
um, really try to simplify it in a way that sometimes I think you need to simplify it, again, with the Vincent Carthizer scenes. It's like, it really helped to simplify the way a complex AI machine works into this human caricature. Um, but in all the real human interaction scenes, it, it didn't work for me. I think the one... Um, I was just say, I think the one scene that really worked for me is the girl on social media um, when someone kind of makes fun of her ears and kind of how that um, that affects her in the moment. Mm-hmm. I think they really blow it up later when she's like looking in the mirror and like covering her ears and like the, it's, I don't know. It, I think it really gets I, it gets blown up a lot, but when it when it first happens, um, just seeing how kind of something uh, as innocuous 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 as comments um kind of affect kind of her in that quick moment it turns into a much longer sequence that i didn't like Mm, okay but i did like kind of the small aspects of that yeah um yeah i think i don't have a problem with the way that was portrayed but i do have a problem with the fact that that was this we'll get into this later i think a little bit later on but how that was the only mention in the whole documentary about online harassment yeah (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk more about that but um the other thing i want to say about the quality of this film is that like the other side of this film like i would say the majority of this film is interviews with former social media platform executives um and people who are experts in the field right um, talking about the way social media platforms work, the dangers, um, the impacts of it on our psychology and on, on our um, society. Um, and I thought all those are very compelling. But at the same time, it was very interesting to me that like in a documentary about something that affects literally almost every single person, right? At, let's say at least in this country, yeah. um, to not have any other variety of point of view, you know what I mean? To not have interviews with people who have fell victim to something on social media or, or to have personal stories included um, from regular everyday people or to have anyone making the case for the platforms. You know, this is everyone that they had kind of was coming from the same point of view, which I'm not saying is the wrong point of view by any means, but to not have any yeah. kind of differing points of view, um, I thought was a fault to this film and a fault of the filmmakers. It felt very totally. narrow minded. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that the, the director of this, um, documentary, Jeff Orlorsky, he is, he's a nature documentarian. Um, and so he's done documentaries about, uh, like the glaciers and coral and like things like that, where it's very, um, I think he's very conscious of the environment and what is this doing to our world. And so I think he came at it with that perspective of, all right, what is technology doing to our world? And not necessarily like, this is a nuanced issue Mm -hmm. that a bunch of people have, um, have been talking about already for a very long time. And I need to kind of dig into the research of, um, there are, there are platforms that have already been talking about, um, online harassment on, um, on regulations for, um, (laughs) for what this looks like and kind of what it, what it came down to is at the end of this documentary, the, the kind of conclusion is 
guys, we should regulate this <laughs> yeah. stuff. And that's really it. That's kind of all all it comes down to. Not how, not right. um, here are the particulars, here's who's tried and who's failed. Like, don't even get right. into that. It's just, <laughs> it's just, hey, maybe we should regulate it. And you have a bunch of these tech bros who are just like, guys, come on, you should do it. And that's it. Yeah. So I don't, even it, the, to me, it just feels very sloppy. Yes. Sloppy is the perfect word. In the end, there's even this very strange instance where the the documentary seems to end. And I don't remember exactly what note it ended oh, on or yeah. said, it said. And then the credits start. And then more documentary keeps happening during the credits of yeah. people <laughs> saying, like, here are some tips. Here are some things we need to be doing. It felt like this afterthought of like, oh, yeah, by the way, here are some ideas for the ways that we can make this better. You know, here are some tips for you as a person to like, you know, help your help, help everything. Right. And it felt very thrown on to have the credits playing and then interviews are still going (laughs) instead of like normally if, if something's still showing during the credits, it's like something maybe lighthearted or. I don't know. Yeah. Something that, like, if you, if you don't pay attention to it, it's fine. This seemed like vital information that it's like, oh, why is this playing during the credits? It was, right. It just felt very odd. And like I said, that contributed to that feeling of, like, this doesn't feel like this was a real documentary. This feels haphazard. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't think it was incredibly well made. Um, but I think, like I said, what I will give it is... As I was watching it, I had a million thoughts and things I wanted to contribute to this conversation, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And it does make you think about your own personal use of social media. And also, it makes you concerned for the state of our nation. Um, And I am grateful for, for... it's like stirring up those like thoughts and conversations. So I want to know, I guess, Lucas, like I said, um, we earlier on, we talked about like what platforms we use the most. And um, we both admitted that we like have worked in these tech spaces. Um, What is your personal kind of relationship to social media? Yeah. So social media, I think for me has always been, um, something that I have a hard relationship with just because I don't, I don't like spending time on social media and yet I, it it is how I keep up with friends. When you have, when you've, you know, live across the country or wherever from a lot of your friends, I think social media is the best and easiest way to kind of stay in contact. Um, but so what I have done, and this is <laughs> this is something that I has, I think, taken a couple of years to kind of solidify and uh, figure out exactly how to do this. But on Twitter and Instagram, both, I only, I, I don't have Facebook. Um, I, so I would say my, my main social platforms are Twitter and Instagram, where I am also engaging. Obviously, YouTube is my, <laughs> is my number one, but that's just a consuming right. side. And not... And not, I don't view it in a social aspect because uh, I'm not watching things of people that I know. It's all, I, I view it kind of as like watching TV. Um, but um, for Twitter and Instagram, I have limited it to, I will only follow 100 accounts on each mm. platform. Um, and if I get to that limit and I need to follow more people, I have to unfollow people. And that keeps from 
me at least, this is specifically for me, I'm not suggesting this for anybody else, but for me, that limits my um, time on there of just, I'm not going to have endless tweets to scroll through or anything like that. Um, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to necessarily use it for all of my news consumption because I just can't follow that many people. And that has kept me off those platforms. And I feel like it has really helped curate it over the years. So I'm constantly looking for people to unfollow. (laughs) And so it's helped me um, kind of make and people always talk about like an echo chamber specifically on Twitter. And yeah, my my um, my my Twitter feed is an echo chamber, but I'm also not having a dialogue with people on on Twitter right. either. So it's not something that I'm using for, um, you know, for learning about things or, or, or I mean, I am learning about things, but like I'm not using it for the political discourse or for, um, you know, in educating myself on certain aspects of things. Um, whereas Instagram for the, for me, the most part is it's, it's for friends and it's for kind of keeping up with, um, with what's going on in their daily life. And the same thing there as if I get to a hundred, I'm going through and looking for people that I'm not really friends with anymore. And maybe I need to unfollow them. Um, and I, I think for me, it's been a really healthy setup at least. So I am aware of, um, what social media can do to my life. And I feel like I've, I've handled it pretty well for me. Yeah. That does, that, that's it's very restrained of you. Um, it also makes me feel very honored to be part of, to be the 1% of your social media following. <laughs> um, I've got to make sure I, I keep my spot. Yeah, you, you <laughs> listen, you got to have good content. That's that's the yeah. key. If you, if you stop posting good content, you, uh, you get cut. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my experience and relationship with social media is markedly different. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> So the reason that I wanted to work in social media as a career is because ever since college, I've been fascinated by it. I, I have a deep interest in the way communities and communication happen. Communities are built in how communication happens on social media platforms. I think it started with my obsession with Tumblr, which to this day, I honestly think at the time was kind of. I think there's lots of different pockets of Tumblr and people have lots of different experiences, but the my experience with it was kind of like an ideal social media platform. I think I'm always I'm constantly trying to recreate that that the way that Tumblr worked for me in those those beginning years. Um but I I love analyzing the way that um people take advantage of these platforms that they're given and that on where essentially at, at least at the beginning everyone's kind of on an equal playing field and grow audiences and also the way that people can keep in touch with friends and and build new relationships i see so much of the positive in social media I see the way that stories that have never been told before are able to be told on social media. I see the movements that are started that um, they're that have evolved at a much more rapid pace because of social media. The relationships that would have never been built and that are now here. Yeah. And I do wish that this documentary would have given. Like, shine, shine, shine a light on some of that. Because I think it would have made this the conversation feel more, like, authentic. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard for this film to say, like, here are all the scary, bad things that social media does. 
And all of us go, wow, you know, I don't think you're lying about that. But also, I use this every day, and scary bad things aren't happening to me every day. You know what I mean? And so it's mm-hmm. it, you feel this disconnect um, from the world you're living in to the world that they're telling you about. Um, and I think if the documentary had taken, again, not a ton of time, but a little bit of time to say, like, this is complex because, you know, it does all these good things. And and someone mentions that very briefly, but to really have to show it and, and have that conversation, I thought would have been a little been a, it would have been helpful. Um, and so as I'm watching this film, I think I'm kind of critiquing it as I'm watching it, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, a lot of the let's let's set it it really kind of breaks into two parts right there's like your personal mental health and like the addiction to social media and our devices that it covers right and then mm-hmm. it also talks about the way social media is like sowing discord in our country um and globally so in the personal health section there's a lot of it that i kept thinking like i see your point I think it's good that we know that social media functions this way, but also I'm an adult and I can control myself. You know what I mean? If I stay up too late one night watching TikTok, let's say I can (laughs) hypothetically, hypothetically, right? Not that that's ever happened, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I, as an adult can say like, yikes, like you somehow stayed up till 1am watching these videos. That's, concerning you shouldn't do that every night let's make sure not to do that again i'm an adult and i can monitor my own behavior and decide what is healthy or not for me right um yeah and so i felt so i do strongly appreciate this conversation about social media in regards to the health of children and their use of social media and technology Because children are not adults, and they can't make all those healthy decisions for themselves. And their minds are still growing, and they're easily manipulated. And if this whole documentary was just about the way social media is affecting the like this younger generation, I think I would have been much more understanding of it, right? Um, Because even as someone who loves social media as much as I do, who participates in it constantly... I have, and before this documentary, I have always had very, like, strong concerns about the way children and teens use social media and their access um, to the internet. Um, If I was a parent, I would be incredibly strict about my child's access to the internet. And I appreciate that this documentary will hopefully spook some parents and make sure that like they are getting more involved. Um, yeah, because I think that's incredibly necessary. So it's, it's hard because on one hand I was like very much in agreement with the fear tactics that they were using in regards to like children's mental health. And yet when they're talking about it in a general sense, there's a part of me that's like, well, but I'm an adult that can figure this out. Right. How did, what did you think of that? And like that aspect of the documentary. I think, yeah, I, I think it was very targeted at children. Like this is what it does to kids. Did you know that, right. that it's doing this to kids? Um, and yet kind of coming at it with that broad brush of 
everyone it's doing this to right. everyone it's like well it's not doing this to everyone right. <laughs> um <laughs> um i don't think that i think it, it to me it felt very much like parents who are watching this and didn't know about this for the first time this is very educational and helpful sure. for them literally everyone else it doesn't it doesn't do much um i guess it, yeah i wish it had actually been targeted at parents right. or been targeted at I, I guess just been a, a truly overall education for everybody on on social yeah. media. Those are your two options. Yeah. Another aspect of this that we've kind of already touched on that was very frustrating is that when it talks about mental health and social media, I think they those experts were only referring to the fault of like the fact that we're all addicted to it, right? And that. We're not spending time doing quote unquote real things and we're spending all of our time on our phones, Um, which I've always resented that language because it implies that the things we're doing on our phones aren't real. You know what I mean? The like the relationships we have with people through the Internet are not real relationships. Um, I I, I resent that a little bit. but or like the conversations that I'm having with someone via a platform, a social media platform is not a real mm-hmm. conversation. I, I I disagree. I think that those are real interactions. Um, but it doesn't touch at all on the harassment aspect of social media and how um, people are targeted by large swaths of people. I think. It's important to bring up the fact that, yes, bullying that happens in normal childhood is also takes place on the Internet and and can feel yeah. more severe on the Internet. Um, that example that they had with the teenage girl is sad, but it feels so minute compared to, like, what actual online harassment is. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, that. the example that happened in the film is something that happens also in person very easily and what this film i feel like should have shown is like what is happening on social media that was never happening in person that especially to teens you know um to have like a facebook group be made targeting like with the purpose of bullying a certain teenager like that that's something that's happening and like that is not something that happened before the internet um And so examples like that, I think, would have been a little bit more compelling. And then also to look at this from the adult side, that this is something that even as an adult is incredible. Like, it doesn't help that you're an adult. That being targeted by, like, tons of trolls and harassers, um, to be a woman on the internet constantly receiving sexual harassment um, takes a toll on your mental health. Like, the fact that that wasn't brought up at all is odd to me. Yeah, I agree. I think, I just think the people who were involved in this weren't interested in any of this. I think, I think they came into it with the expectation of at the end of this, we're going to talk about regulation and regulations where we're going to get to. So we're just going to talk mostly about how how it works from the technical side because that's who they're interviewing is the technical people. (laughs) Um, And, what we can do right. about it. Um, and so it, 
I think I think I think what it comes back down to is what we've said a couple times is that this is just more of a sloppy documentary right. there was, <laughs> than something that's useful and engaging and um, yeah. for people. There wasn't a lot of focus. Um, yeah. In in a topic that's very when you have a topic like social media, that's a vast complex topic. Yeah. And I think if this yeah. documentary was made with a focus point of view and said like we're going to make a documentary about data and the regulation or lack thereof, mm-hmm. then a lot of what is happening here, I wouldn't have been frustrated by. Yeah, um, definitely. But that's, but they, they kind of wanted to like, you know, talk about everything in a way that I don't think was particularly helpful. Um, yeah. And there are times when I was watching this movie where I, I can sometimes in my nature be um, critical is not the right word. Like, combative not that's not the right word either like (laughs) i always want to like argue the opposite side of whatever information is being presented to me right um and (laughs) there's a part of me that's like even though i consider myself like a very like liberal person where i'm watching it i'm like well yeah that's how businesses make money you know (laughs) like i had and, and that is also because i do that as a job i I manage the social media for an organization that's that makes money, and my job is to advertise products and try to use social media to get to people to buy those products. So I am very much part of that ecosystem that is trying to mine data and get people's attention. And I think, I guess what I'm saying is they're presenting that as like this big evil thing, and... Whether that is evil or not, I is what you're really asking, like, is capitalism evil, you know? And this is, like, a tool of capitalism. And I don't think that the the documentary wanted to deep, really go that deep into the discussion of, like, yeah. is all of this the fault of capitalism or is this all the fault of social media? And I would argue it's more the fault of capitalism than anything. Yeah. Um, I agree. Another thing that this documentary did not really want to touch was <laughs> like political parties and how like their <laughs> social media like is being used. Yeah. Um the, like in the narrative aspect of the film there's like this big scary organization um that's like a political organization but it's like g- very generic and like non-binary. It's like mm-hmm. <laughs> And it just made me laugh because I do think that part, I understand that the reason for not wanting to call out any particular political party is so that we don't scare off conservatives, right? Because I think that's the people who need to hear the information in this documentary the most. And you don't want to make them feel, gosh. Targeted. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, So... I I see that, but that also adds to this um, feeling of inauthenticity that I felt watching this documentary. Right? Like we're not saying yeah. the the peop- that the the conspiracy groups that are rampant on Facebook and all these um, you know political like hate YouTube channels that like our teenage boys are falling prey to that they all fall on one side of the political spectrum. Like we're not saying that out loud and that felt like false to me. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So that was another thing that was frustrating about this documentary. You know, I have uh, friends or coworkers that are older than me that really are like, they, they get very worked up about the being tracked, you know? And yeah, that like I saw an advertisement for the other day for something that I haven't even searched for online that I was, you know, and they get really worked up and paranoid about that kind of stuff. And I've always kind of just had the attitude, the blase attitude of, like, I've already bought into this. I don't really care that much that my information is being sold and tracked and for advertisers. Well, but I think that comes from that understanding of I understand what is being tracked. Actually. Like, when people say my data or my information, right. like, I feel like there's a certain amount of people who have an understanding of what right. that means. And they're usually more okay with it because it's not – it's not your data, meaning your photos and your photo, you know, on, on your computer of your exactly. family or your bank account details. Like it's not, that's not my right. data. And so, but I, I do think it comes from just, just this misunderstanding of what actually is out there for people to look at. And this documentary did not do a good job of, of addressing right. that either. And, and I've always kind of, I agree. And I've always felt that personally, being having advertisements targeted to me has never been the scary aspect of social media right Right. absolutely not like it's like okay (laughs) cool they they know what i want to buy like that doesn't that doesn't frighten me i think that there is a lot of frightening aspects of social media and i do believe in regulation 100 percent um but i don't when when they're saying like we know what you want to buy when you want to and we know when you are emotional and when you use this i'm i've always kind of i've always had the attitude of like yeah that comes with the territory i'm using this product for free it's providing me with entertainment relationships access all these things i i've always understood that there's an exchange there um and and I also respect people who do not want to participate in that. You know what I mean? I'm definitely yeah. I respect people who don't want to, who want that privacy and don't want to be advertised to and do not want to participate in that. What I don't respect, I think, is people who want everything for free and want to participate in social media and then are also horrified at the fact that they're going that they're being tracked and monitored and advertised to. I don't think you can't have yeah. it both ways. And so, uh, yeah, as a viewer, I was kind of on a roller coaster of like, yeah, that comes with the territory. I don't find this to be a big deal. And then something else they would kind of talk about, especially I think what frightens me more and what I think there should be a lot more regulation towards is misinformation on social media platforms. That to me is worthy of a documentary is the way misinformation is spread and the platforms that are hosting all of this content are taking no responsibility for that information being spread. Um, yeah, that is terrifying and it is causing like violence and terror in this world. Um, and I think I wish the documentary would have, like I said, we've said multiple times and this had more of a focus and focused on that. Um, but another, I've got another thing I'm remembering is how like they would show like a lot of news footage, right. To make their points Mm -hmm. about things. And they would show a lot of scary footage of like protests or riots happening. Um, 
as a as a way to like point out like we live in this scary polarizing time um and as and that felt again so manipulative to me as if before social media we didn't have protests or a violent police force or all, all these other aspects and issues and problems you know what i mean yeah it's like well i don't this is an ongoing issue i don't think social media has caused all of these social issues that um people are protesting against right <laughs> um and so yeah this is yeah i think a complicated topic a complicated film that i i'm ultimately glad that like it's starting people to have these conversations and i'm glad that like yeah. these executives are speaking so frankly about a topic that they're intimately involved with right um yeah i wish it could have been think, done more elegantly def- definitely i think if this is your first time you know learning about this stuff right cool absolutely like glad you're here right. and that's that is the thing that i'm glad is happening with this documentary is that people are um paying attention to it and um but this is not the whole education right. <laughs> so there's gonna need to be more um can i ask when this documentary was over did it make you want to change anything about the way you're currently operating in your phone and in your digital landscape uh it did not really (laughs) i think i think that that that's actually a really good question because i don't think it it gave those tools even for people who are um i think he's some tools again in the credits strange place but for yeah, yeah. Parents. <laughs> I think neither of us have children. And I think right. for parents, it kind of gave a few tips for, mm-hmm. like, you know, how to operate. Um, yeah. But with, with us not having children, that doesn't apply to us as much. Um, right. For me, it made me do something that, like, both of these th- – it made me do two things that I had always, always been meaning to do but never, like, sat down and taken the time, which was go through all my apps and delete – just so many apps that I don't use or don't even remember what they were for, you know? Um, yeah. So I deleted a lot of apps on my phone that, you know, were probably monitoring me that I'm like, you know, you, you bring nothing to my life, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then, more importantly, I went and turned off notifications on almost all of my apps that weren't essential, Um so before I had notifications turned on for a lot of apps and I was, co- and I'm constantly uh, swiping away notifications, right? Um, yeah. For things that I absolutely don't need notifications for. Like the AMC app that I have for movie theaters that <laughs> is constantly trying to get me to come back to the movie theaters, even though I'm not ready. Yeah. And I'm just swiping yeah. away those notifications. Although the, they're advertisements that I think that's the thing is yeah. a notification that is saying, Hey, you got a message from someone is very different than a notification that is an advertisement. Yep. And so I made sure to go through all my apps and turn off notifications completely for any app that wasn't giving me vital information, like a message from someone or a news update, um, an email, that kind of thing. Um, And so that was something that was like very long overdue that I made time to do after watching this documentary. Um, yeah, so it it, it 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 impacted me in that way at the very least. That's awesome. I think that's uh, yeah. action was yeah. taken, which yeah. is great. <laughs> um, 
And I so, would just say to good. any parents possibly listening, if you let's say you didn't watch this documentary and you you just love the sound of our voices, um, I would just urge you not let your ha- kids have social media accounts until they're at least teenagers. Um, and if you do let them have social media accounts, to heavily monitor them. And if your kids have phones, to try to really take advantage of parental controls or find phones that are like limited access. Um, I don't believe it is healthy for children and teenagers, um, or at least preteens, to have complete unfettered access to the internet. I think that is a danger. There is a danger there, and not the kind of danger that we were told growing up, where someone might try to kidnap you, right? Yep. <laughs> that, that that's all we were ever told right. growing up is like you get online and somebody right. grabs you, and, and that's I, it. And, and sure, that danger <laughs> may exist, but that is not the danger that you really need to be concerned about. The danger is what it's doing to their self esteem, what it's doing to their belief system, um, who is trying to manipulate your children political views um and it's happening to children you think oh my kid doesn't care about politics you'd be surprised um and yeah what it's doing to their like attention span um and so uh yeah i would i would just be very very careful more way more careful than you think you need to be um that's my warning to the world yep. <laughs> um so speaking of all this social media lucas if people want to follow you, make you maybe possibly one of their 100 people that they follow, um, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me everywhere on the internet, at Lucas and Stuff. Do not expect to follow back. <laughs> no, no, no. You will not get one. Um, and my name is Sandra Omstutz. On all social media platforms, you can find me at Sandra Omstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And I might follow you back because I do not limit myself at all. So um, <laughs> thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 